To the Duke and Duchess podcast. My name's Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 113, where we will be covering from interlude seven through chapter 98 of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. That's right. And on our next book club podcast, we will be covering chapters 99 through 107. So jot that down. Our spoiler policy is that Liz has read everything in print. While I am an uninformed, ignorant person who has not read anything, and we don't want to ruin that, so we don't spoil anything. We like to keep Chad as ignorant as possible. Keep Chad ignorant. (laughs) Sorry, I need a t-shirt that says that. (laughs) Stay tuned to the end of the podcast for predictions and to find out who won our Pimp of the Week contest. Pimp of the month. Pimp of the week month. Pimp of the fortnight. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you like this section? This, so this and and up until the end of Oathbringer is my favorite part of the series. We're we're getting into the really good stuff. Uh, I'm geeking out over Seth's redemption arc. It's one of my favorite parts of the series. So this is one of my favorite parts of this book. Good, good. But what did you think? I mean... I enjoyed it. There's a lot of chapters in this section, but a lot of them are very short. So there are sections where I have a lot to say and sections where I don't necessarily have a lot to say. But there's some interesting and exciting stuff. Again, we're at the beginning of a part, so there's a little bit more stage setting going on. We don't, you know, it doesn't end on like a real exciting event. But overall, I like I like the section. Some good character stuff. Interlude 7 is called Envoy. Venley discovers that her grand purpose in Odium's plan is to be his propaganda master. She's not happy about the way things are going for herself or her people, but the powerful and slightly insane fused are not giving her much of a choice. Her one remaining rebellion is the little comet spren she's been hiding from her new masters. This spren allows her to hear the old rhythms again, which she doesn't love, but she keeps it safe anyway, for reasons she isn't entirely sure of. Good summary. Thank you. So we do learn some interesting stuff from the fuse that she's talking to, some stuff about honor's death and spren bonding and sort of looking at it from uh, their perspective. So I I thought there was some fairly interesting stuff in here. A couple of of quotes that I would like to go over. I love quotes. So the first one is, we killed him, and yet he fights on through his surge binders. Surge binders. Foolishly, the old song spoke highly of them. How can they bind Spren, ancient one, she asked to subservience. Humans don't, you know. So timid, he said to ridicule. Why is mentioning Gemhart so difficult? They're sacred and personal. Listener Gemharts were not gaudy or ostentatious like those of Great Shells. Clouded white and almost color of bone, they were beautiful, intimate things. They're a part of you, Ryan said. The dead bodies tattoo, the refusal to talk of gem hearts. You're as bad as those out there walking around with one hand covered. What? That was unfair. She attuned fury. It shocked us when it first happened, Ryan eventually said. Humans don't have gem hearts. How could they bond Sprint? It was unnatural, yet somehow their bond was more powerful than ours. 
I've always said the same thing, and I believe it even more strongly now. We must exterminate them. Our people will never be safe in this world as long as the humans exist. Yeah, that sums up a lot of really important things that we learn. So why do we have to read the rest of the chapter then? <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. So Venley's no, not in a great spot here. No, and Venley's not really my favorite character. She's not terribly easy to read about. No. Well, she starts off in such a as such a unlikable character. Right. And you like Esh and I. Mm-hmm. And then Brandon Sanderson pulls the old, I'm gonna swap them on you mm-hmm. and then try to make Venley, you know, try to redeem her and make her likable. And I He's doing a good job. It's not that I think he's not doing a good job or that she, I don't find her sympathetic, but it's just still not the best character because you really only get her in like tiny little doses. Mm-hmm. So you don't really spend enough time with her to really kind of feel the whole redemption arc, you know? Um, so she's definitely not my favorite character to read about, but but I do appreciate the different perspective and sort of view of the world that we get from her. Well, and I think the fact that she's not likable and I think she's not meant to be likable kind of makes it a little bit more powerful when this little spren starts to kind of win her over a little bit. Like she's got this little shred of, I don't want to call it humanity because obviously she's not human, but this kind of shred of goodness still in her. And this little, it's like the baby Yoda of Spren is just like (laughs) drawing out her, that little shred of decency that's still inside of her that still cares. And the fact that she literally then can hear the old rhythms, which she thinks of as being the inferior rhythms when Mm -hmm. it's around. Yeah, yeah. Highlights that dynamic. And so uh, the dynamic between her and this little comet spren is what really draws me into her story. So it's interesting to bring up the rhythms because my next quote is actually about that. And it's my last one for this uh, chapter here. It says, the spren zipped past her looking in the drawer that she'd opened. It's a drawer, she said. <laughs> <That's The> spren- <laughs> it's a drawer. <laughs> the spren, like a puppy, like, you know. This is like the puppy spren. Uh, the spren peeked out and then pulsed in a quick blinking succession. That's curiosity, she thought, recognizing the rhythm. She hummed it to herself as she packed her things, then hesitated. Curiosity was an old rhythm, like amusement, which she'd attuned moments ago. She could hear the normal rhythms again. She looked at the little spren. Is this your doing? She demanded irritation. It shrank, but pulsed to resolve. What are you hoping to accomplish? Your kind betrayed us. Go find a human to bother. Yes, I think that's pretty significant as well. I just, I I keep turning in my mind over and over what, like this idea of the rhythms, it's a cool little concept. And I think about what it would sound like in our daily lives. Imagine if like you sang everything that you said and your emotions were made clear by the song you were singing. To be fair, that's like 40% of my interactions. I mean, that's just actually, that is actually the thought that just came into my head. Yeah. That's pretty much how I get that. Chad actually does sing like half of his interactions. That's, you know. Well, it's funny because one little trick I used to use, especially when the kids were little and I would find myself getting really frustrated and I didn't want to like explode in anger at them, I would like switch to singing or sometimes I'd switch to a a bad British accent because (laughs) it like it does something in your brain. It kind of flips off that. But, you know, I, I think about like, that would just be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My 
my question about the rhythms is, are the rhythms always there and she just doesn't recognize them? And now that the spren's around, she's able to recognize them? Or is it that the spren is actively like blinking and doing things to the rhythm? Which is, by the way, how I read it. Mm, uh, the I latter. don't know. That's a good question, though. Um, yeah, and if that is the case, what does that mean about this spren? Because it is, it is weird that this is sort of the one non-void spren that is finding one of the one of the listeners to mm-hmm. uh, follow around and try to bond. We we really don't know what kind of spren it is. Is it? Some sort of like a non-void spren that is the parchment version of a normal spren? Is it like the parchment version of like an honor spren? And did the void spren just wipe all them out and this is the only one around? I think so. I mean, we do read a little bit later in this section that the fused, the kind of the head honchos of this army are circulating descriptions of this kind of spren that it needs to be reported if seen. So that would kind of make sense. No, that would make sense. I I didn't put two and two together there. That's a good point. I have those. You do, absolutely. Interlude 8 is called Mem. Mem is a laundress, and as far as laundresses go, she's a total baller. Her mad laundry skills have landed her a job with Mraes. Remember him? He's still enigmatic and creepy and keeps weird trophies. One of his prized collections now includes a set of paintings of the heralds, which turns out to be a trap for the mistress. Remember her? He tells her that he knows where a Talenalot is after he catches her slashing one of them and convinces her to stay for a drink. All to Mem's great surprise. So we got some loose dangling threads being woven beautifully back into the tapestry. Remember these characters? Don't forget about these characters. Don't remember these guys? They're still there. 2,000 pages ago. Doing shit. I told you they existed. (laughs) So she I is love the this Scotty quote. Pippen of of tailors or of laundresses. Of laundresses, yeah, she is. Damn, she is. Yeah, she got the ether out. So I wrote this quote down that I liked: "The end of the world would come, but that would only mean more blood stains to wash." I was like, "That's pretty metal for a laundress, Mem." <laughs> I know, right? Like it? She's got a dark side. <laughs> so obviously, the the main event that we get here is that Marais is able to somehow have a conversation with the mistress, and the mistress is looking for Talenalot. Right. So that's sort of the the main things that we get. But um, I have this quote, which again is sort of the one that sort of sums mm-hmm. everything up, I think. She walked quickly to Marais and used one hand on his chest to push him aside. She pulled open the door. I know where Talenalot is, Marais said. Palm froze. Yes. Let's have that drink, shall we? Marais asked. My Bob's because eager to speak to you. He glanced at Mem. Is that my Asia's cavalry lord suit? Oh, yes, you got the aether out of it. <laughs> For some reason, every time I read that, I hear, is that my Asia's candy lord suit? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. But that seems funnier to me. He's the candy lord. <laughs> I also had to look up the word Babsk. Uh-huh. Because I was like, what? Like, I knew I knew it was one that I had heard before, mm-hmm. but it's another one of those random words. I'm like, all right, what the hell does that mean? Mm-hmm. So I had to go all the way back to Way of Kings, mm-hmm. and that just essentially means master, but like... It's the creepy mask lady. Yeah, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's who it is, yeah. Man, what is she going to tell the mistress? 
She's going to be like, I'm really good at stuff. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> so what do you think is going to happen there with the mistress and stuff? Man, I ain't got no idea. The what? only the only thing I'm starting to, to figure out or speculate at uh, is that I feel like the heralds are not restricted to Roshar. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I who who knows I, I don't know yeah. So you feel like she's a herald? We've, is that yeah? Kind of I feel like she. Okay. I feel like yeah. she's a herald. To lend a lot to herald, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I can't because again they use so many different names for mm-hmm. them. I. I I don't remember if Talenalot is the one. I think Talenalot's the one who stayed behind and got yes. tortured, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so why she's so eager to find him, mm-hmm. other than he's been, you know, missing for 4,000 years, mm-hmm. I don't really know. Why he's so eager to bring her there, mm-hmm. I have no idea. Not any earthly clue. Because Brandon Sanderson does one of two things. He either... Tells you what's going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe not like super hit on, hit you on the head with it. Although sometimes he does that too. Or he doesn't tell you shit. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure going back and rereading it, there might be subtle clues in there, but there's certainly nothing I can pick up on. Yeah, that's why it's so exciting. And if you do reread these books, I think you have a completely different experience than the first time through. Yeah, but it's like eighty thousand pages. <laughs> I, I don't got that kind of time. <laughs> and you know that the Aether is just like, what's the planet the Mistborn is on? Um, Scadrial. Scadrial. It's just like Scadrial mustard. <laughs> you know, he was eating a ham sandwich and he spilled it on his shirt. He's like, I can't be a good candy lord with mustard on my shirt. There's this one line in in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical where they're singing about getting the mustard out. And oh, so yeah. that song has been in my head ever since I read this interlude. Hmm. They got the mustard out. Cut that out, please. Do not put this <laughs> It's going on the podcast. <laughs> we do not edit. All right, interlude well, it's nine. convenient for me. <laughs> Interlude 9 is called True Labor Begins. Venli is taken to Kolinar by two of the fused. They tell her that everything she's done so far has been preparation for her real work, which has just begun. So it's a very short chapter. It's like she's seven basically paragraphs. kind of slung over there, but it's basically like, you know, they told her, they gave her this huge mountain to dig to the bottom of, and she's finally gotten to the bottom of it, and then they turn her around, and there's an even bigger mountain. Yeah, And they're like, <laughs> so again, kind of reiterating, things aren't looking too good for Venley. She's not too happy right now. No, right now, Ven- Venley is like a 1950s R&B singer that just signed away all of her, <laughs> all of her record rights for $200. Yeah, and they're pretty like, much. They're like, get on the bus, kid. We're going to go to Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I got family in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> and then there's 47 stops before you get to Tuscaloosa. And you yep. got to sing them all. Yep. Yeah. Interlude 10 is called Scheller. Poor Scheller. Things have not been going his way. First, his homeland gets overrun. Then he gets kidnapped by a crazy Herdazian general. 
for all for the piddling crime of sexual assault, he is sentenced to death. He chooses to wrestle a hog for the entertainment of his captors instead, but the hog is not what he expected. And they said it I was I choose a hog! Girl. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sword, hammer, hog, shoot! <laughs> oh, we're doing that. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay, so I think hammer beats sword. Yep, fair, fair. Okay. Uh-huh. Sword beats hog. Yeah, yeah, and hog so, beats hammer. Hog beats hammer. Absolutely. We're, that's happening. All right, let's play right now. Okay. Okay, hold on. Well, all right, what's... Okay, so right. hammer... Hammer. Sword, sword. Hog. 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 Okay. <laughs> and go. One, two, three. Shoot. Shoot. <laughs> no, no, you have, to, you have to go sword, hammer, hog, shoot. Okay. Okay, right? Sword, sword hammer, hammer, hog, shoot. shoot. Oh, you got me. And that was probably really boring for people listening. Sorry to people listening at home. Sorry. Okay. What do I have here? Okay. Mysterious Herdazian general. What did you make of him? He's mysterious and Herdazian. Okay. I mean, I did sort of think, you know, why is there this, you know, who, like what's going on in, in this place that, you know, there's this one sort of general kind of doing whatever the hell he wants to, but, but I don't know that that's the case. The Herdazians aren't, necessarily on the side of anybody mm-hmm. and who is this guy Sheeler? like where is he from mm-hmm. i thought he was a lethe but it's, i don't know i mean he is he um was the the guy who was in command of the i think of the battalion where tien was killed so he oh, was in yeah. that in oh, yeah. amram's army okay well and he's convicted of sexual assault whether it's real or not we don't we don't know but he Acts like an ass. Oh, yeah. You know, a complete and total ass. Totally deserves death by hog. So death by hog. We're all for it. What, I, what I'm sort of puzzling through is it's short, it's quick, it's fun. What is it telling us, though? So. I don't know. For me, it sounds like the general, especially the way they describe his features, um, a two wide smile, flat nose, missing tooth. Like this is a guy that's gonna pop up later. Mm, okay. You know, that's just that something. Makes sense, yeah. When I see Brandon Sanderson doing something like that, yeah. I'm like, I think this person's gonna come back. He's like, kick, 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 kick. You get down there. You're gonna get on there and on them hog and them Duke boys are gonna get what's coming to him. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I thought too. This is not the hog I was expecting. And, and just how I think three different uh, characters, three different uh, individuals yeah. of his men, emphasized how weird he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't. We don't know why he does what he does. He's a little weird. Roscoe P. Coltrane. Interlude 11 is called Her Reward. Venley is kept in captivity in Kolinar, forced to give her presentation dozens of times a day. Her comet spren, who she has named Timber, pleads wordlessly with her to remember peace and to fight the void spren in her heart. The Everstorm comes and Venley is visited by Odium. She tells Timber that he chose the wrong sister. Oh, that was kind of sad, huh? Yeah, yeah. So this part really was where, for me watching the connection grow between Venley and this spren tugged at my heartstrings a little bit in that up until now I've seen Venley's just kind of been this sort of self-pitying. Oh, I created the end of the world and now I don't like it. You know, stop creating the end of the world. Woe is me. But to see her, um, kind of 
have some empathy for this little spren and this little spren kind of remain devoted to her. Mm-hmm. It it definitely creates a little sympathy in me for the character. Opportunities lost is what it reminds me of. You don't remember Timber? My Canadian dating app that I created? Bring in the wood, Timber. So also for me, this interlude starts to bring up this theme of being careful what you worship and being careful what you choose. And this comes into play a great deal in this section, being careful uh, um, about what you choose as your higher ideal, as your guiding purpose. Yeah, And Benley Mm -hmm. has chosen to return her people's old gods that her people went through great pains to get away from and she has brought them back and now she's reaping the rewards of that choice. You know, that's a good theme to point out because it also sort of plays into the radiance in general, like be careful what you bring back, right? There's there's a reason why the recreants happened. Mm-hmm. Again, not all of the radiance are necessarily good. Mm-hmm. You know, we have all these, we have a lot of experience with sort of the Nin's crew, Sky mm-hmm. Sky Wards, what are what are Skybreakers? Skybreakers. So we have the experience with them, and it's not always about right and wrong, mm-hmm. you know. So again, not always positive. And as we start to learn more about like these higher level ideals, you know, the thing about ideals is that they don't play well with reality. Mm-hmm. You know, so who's to say that after declaring to the first ideal and declaring to the second ideal? And declaring to the third ideal and committing 20 years of your life to doing this, that you don't start getting to the fourth ideal and going, you know, this is a little fucked up. Like, is this OT3 and I'm on the bridge to Scientology? Right. Like, you know, like, they don't tell you they're crazy out of the out of the gates. Mm-hmm. You got to dig a little. Yeah. Well, I have a lot to say about all that later on. Mm, good. Okay. Chapter 88 is called Voices. Flashback to eight years ago and three years after Evie's death, and Dalinar is not doing so hot. His family has started hiding the alcohol from him, so he's driven to the beggar's porch to bum a drink from Ahu the Beggar. Ahu is a strange duck who seems to know things that he shouldn't. Dalinar stumbles back to his room and overhears Adolin and Gavilar talking about him with Elokar. They plan to send him on a trip to Azir to distract him from his misery, but he knows that what he really needs is to be free of Evie's memory forever. I finally have actual comments to make <laughs> now, yeah. that we're, now that we're in a chapter and not and not one of these short two-page interludes. Right. So I'm reading through this the first time, and you know, he's talking about he saw the fires reflecting in their eyes, heard the weeping of children, and I'm like, wow. So down in our didn't wish to have the memories of the rift removed. It was specifically those of Evie. Mm-hmm. That's strange because mm-hmm. it's not what I expected. And then like two sentences later, it's like that scent, that was her scent. And I was like, okay, apparently he didn't forget everything about her. I guess it was just her name that he forgot. And then a paragraph later, he says, begging their father to save them from the flames and Evie's voice accompanying them. And I'm like, oh shit, he hasn't gone to the Night Watcher yet. Right. Like I didn't yeah, yeah, know yeah. where this was in time. Yeah. So he's still just dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, you, fuck you. It's a you. lot to deal fuck with. Fuck you, yeah. you should. Sure, absolutely. You, you burned down mm-hmm. a goddamn city, mm-hmm. you know, for bullshit. So, yeah. so deal with it. 
But then we meet Ehu. Ehu, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it, is definitely the most interesting part of the chapter. Mm -hmm. And the first time I read it, I did not recognize the degree to which this character was significant. Mm -hmm. I still don't really know why he's significant, Mm -hmm. but it's very clear in reading it that he's some sort of a world hopper. Mm -hmm. And it also seems like he has some experiences that are similar Mm -hmm. to what Dalinar's going through. Mm -hmm. Talks about hearing voices. So I suspect that he was a mad, mass-murdering son of a bitch in whatever world he came from as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wrote down a few of the things that he says that are are significant. Um, He asked Dalinar, which one got to you? The Black Fisher? The Spawning Mother, the Faceless, Moloch is close. So those are all names of the yeah. unmade. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he has knowledge of them. And he also says, we cannot escape what we did. We let them in. We befriended them. We took them out to dance and courted them. It's our fault. They ripped my brain out and made it dance, and I watched them. So some, that's some kind of hardcore yeah, <laughs> shit it is. went down with this guy. It's interesting. I, I wrote that quote down as well, but what I actually... Uh, most latched onto was a, was what was kind of in between mm-hmm. uh, those comments where it says, I used to think it wasn't my fault, but you know, we can't escape what we did. Mm. We let them in. Mm-hmm. We attracted them, befriended them, took them out to dance and courted them. It's our fault. Mm-hmm. You open yourself up to it and you pay the price. This, along with something else that happens in a later chapter, you know, adds up to maybe some ideas about what the hell's going on mm-hmm. in this world. But I think those lines are significant. And I don't take that to be the rambling of a madman because I have read other fantasy novels. <laughs> the last thing that happens here, well, we have an interaction with Adolin, where mm-hmm. Adolin is now kind of an older teen. He's old enough to be serving. And there's a very kind of tender-hearted interaction there between Dalinar and Adolin. But it's also very obvious that Dalinar does not know what to do with Renarin. He's kind of like, oh, that other one in his mind. Yeah. But he's proud of Adolin. He's he's kind of torn about, you know, the fact that he looks like his mother, but he's also, you know, his kid and he's very proud of him. And then when he comes back to his room, he hears Adolin talking about him with his brother mm-hmm. and basically like preparing some kind of intervention because he's obviously, he's not coping very well. Yeah, it says, Dalinar is a soldier. He'll fight through this. Perhaps if we go on a trip, we can distract him from his loss. Maybe easier. Which is a hint, obviously, that we're going to end up going out west and seeing the Night Watcher eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chapter 89 is called Damnation. The Scooby gang makes it from one platform in Shadesmar to another. Shalon is wiped out by the effort involved in getting everyone to safety, and Kaladin and Azure seem to be barely able to function due to existential crises slash mysterious bouts of malaise. Adolin is clueless, but he keeps the group together, despite having just lost his cousin, and despite the fact that he's being trailed by the reanimated corpse of his beloved Shardblade. Son of a bitch. Sword zombie. That's a damn sword zombie. Right? I, I looked in the monster it. manual and I did not find sword zombie. I found animated armor. <laughs> it's so creepy. I love it. And I love how like he wakes up or he turns around and she's just standing, standing there, there like right in his face. Like I, I could just I could picture it so vividly. Um like this whole 
vignette in Shadesmar, all of these scenes, I just, I want to see it televised. I can just picture it. This whole section is, I mean, it's one of the most bizarre Mm -hmm. and fascinating world building things I've ever seen. It does sort of remind me of like interplanar and like underdark D and D games. Mm -hmm. Like it does remind me of some, um, some, some D and D stuff that I've, that I played in the past. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's like, it's like a combination of like a Hieronymus Bosch painting and Pokemon. Yeah. Yes. It's bananas. I love it. Absolutely. Banana cuckoos. (laughs) It's like a horror movie. Or as they call it in Russia, a movie. <laughs> so yeah, so she is his shard blade. I listened back to episode 112 mm-hmm. after reading this, yeah. which every once in a while I'll do. Yeah. And I went through that whole section where we were like, who do you who think, you think, think it, is? it is? And I'm like, I don't know, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> I am such a dummy there. I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, there's only four people. It's not this one. But then I was like, wait, they reveal it in the next chapter. I'm just gonna let him read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, silly. I, well, at the end, I did start kind of fucking with you a little bit. I was uh-huh. like, is it this? Is it that? I, you know. <laughs> but but I just but I had no idea. Yeah. I, I clearly was not going to pick up on it. As soon as I read it, I was like, oh well, that's kind of obvious. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, for me, this is should have got that one of my favorite parts of the book. It's not in this chapter, it's in a later chapter, but when he's like just talking to her and she's just kind of staring there all yeah. dead and scratching. Yeah, yeah. And like the fact that he always used to talk to his sword. Exactly, yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, I love it. Yeah. Like, that's so cool. Well, and he does, you know, he tries to summon her mm-hmm. and predictably, she freaks out. You know? <laughs> she's just this weird, eerie scream. <laughs> so creepy. You know, like... Makes you wonder, and what's going to be interesting is what happened because Adolin's obviously at some point going to get back to the regular mm-hmm. world, to the physical realm. What's he going to be like when he he knows what's going on? Well, and now we know that every time that one of the radiants would hold a, a shard blade and hear a screaming, that's what they that's were what hearing. It was. Yeah, yeah. It was these sword zombies screaming their heads off so dark i love it it is cuckoo bananas very bizarre <laughs> so we find out many tidbits about azure as well she tells them that she passed through shades mar when she first came to their land about a year ago and um her sword seems to be different it does not have a spren yeah and this is the only this is the part where i'm like and i had to be like did i miss something in like the last section like I got a little a little frustrated that she's like, yeah, I passed through this land when I came to your land in the past. And they're like, cool. Mm-hmm. Let's go on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Nobody stops to be like, where did you come from? Mm-hmm. You can go. There are other planets. Like, like, how did you get? Who brought you? Like, nobody stops to, you know, like. But I don't think that they assume that she means that she came from another planet. That's the only thing I can... I think they're she's vague enough that they just, like, and if they don't have any kind of 
any kind of concept of there being possibly, or even like that stars are other planets. Yeah, yeah. That's not where your mind would jump. No, they would think, true. oh, she must have come from another landmass or yeah, exactly. Uh, like, another part of the ocean's huge. This would be way, I mean, a little bit scarier, but way easier than going on a boat. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing I can sort of surmise. So we also see her hair um, fades to a faint gray as soon as she enters Shadesmar, and she seems like she's pretty knocked out. I wrote this quote. Azure followed, her shoulders sagging. In fact, her her hair was fading. It was the strangest thing. This is Adolin speaking. Uh, first of all, not the strangest thing. <laughs> it's not the strangest thing. <laughs> You're standing in a world of marbles with souls in them. <laughs> This is right after they noted the contaminated flying soul of the monster that controls the Oath Gate. <laughs> there are bizarro Pokemon following <laughs> them around. It's like living in Mario World. But an aging woman is the strangest thing. Who are you, Joel Maisel? <laughs> right. Now the other thing I thought, and and I think later it I think later it turns out not to be true, but at this point I was like, is she running out of breath? Mm. is breath and stormlight mm-hmm. behaving in some way mm-hmm. um but like later her hair is restored there doesn't seem to be any mm-hmm. indication of of her doing that i don't know maybe yeah. she had breath stored because remember she can store maybe she had it stored somewhere else and she was losing it or maybe well, she was using it temporarily or there's a lot of interesting speculation and I don't know exactly what the words of Brandon are about the interactions between Stormlight and Breath, but mm-hmm. they're similar and I think can be used by the same people. Hmm. I, I believe that that is so, but there's a lot of very complicated questions and an, and that have been answered by, because you know, every time Brandon Sanderson does a signing, people pounce on him with of like, course, yeah. What if someone of the fifth heightening, you know, infused two rubies and then ate some tin? What would happen? And he's like, "Well," and he knows, like, right yeah, off yeah. the bat, it's amazing. But there's there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of information out there about things that he has said about how stormlight and breath would kind of work, you know, as one magic system. Another quote I had is this is a little bit earlier. Pattern is whispering to her, and he says, "Look, Shalon, the lights of souls are no longer disappearing." And, you know, he's saying to her that, it, you know, the, the fight must be over. Because there, it is right. interesting that they're standing near Kolinar. So, mm-hmm. like, she picks up one of the marbles and she's like, oh, this is like rotten fruit. Right. Because she's still standing right yeah. at yeah. the revel, you know, mm-hmm. right? And she's like, oh, this is old, dusty clothing, mm-hmm. and, you know? So I thought that was an interesting detail that he was able to sort of relate them that way. Mm-hmm. But, but the other thing is that it caused me to question... And I don't know that we get any indication. What do the souls of the Parshendi and the Fuse look like mm. from this side? Are they all the same? Mm-hmm. Are they different? I don't know. And I don't recall anything that would indicate one way or the other. Maybe it, maybe there does. Maybe there is. I don't. Yeah, I don't think we've gotten that information. That's a good question. The quote I wrote down was, Shalon is, you know, she's kind of starts barking orders a little bit and she's trying to figure out how to get them out of there. And she says, Kaladin, see if you can brood this place into submission. By the way, he tries that later. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It does not work. Kaladin is kind of going through this crisis again. And 
I I love the interaction between him and Adolin and basically how Adolin kind of his whole thing that he goes through landing in Shadesmar being completely out of his element, completely useless. And he just kind of faces that and he's not happy about it, but he kind of goes like, okay, well, it is what it is. And he, and he moves forward and he kind of keeps things together. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the first time it goes to his perspective in this chapter the very first sentence is, Adolin felt useless. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeds to, like you said, he looks around, he's like, well, I am no good here. Mm-hmm. So without, like, you don't really get a thought in his head. This is a showing, not telling moment mm-hmm. uh, for Brandon. He just says, he just goes to Kaladin and mm-hmm. starts trying to, like, yeah. talk, because that's what, he knows how to, to do that. Yeah. You know, and you don't have to be a world hopper to be a good friend to somebody. You know, and I think that was a good revealing uh, positive character moment for Aelin. Probably one of one of my favorite parts of the section, actually. Yeah, for me as well. I, I like Adolin a lot here. And I love when he starts, goes over and starts talking to Kaladin. You could tell Kaladin's just, he's just got a good scowl going on. And he's getting ready to just really get, and Adolin's like, so what do you? Yeah. <laughs> and Kaladin is just like, do you have to talk right? Like, what? He's like, what? Yeah, I thought I thought that was clear. He's like, "So that spread is your sword, huh?" Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, "I got this dead thing following me around." <laughs> right. What do you think of that chick? I've been staring at her ass so long, I got pink eye. <laughs> huh. Just trying to be, you know, just trying to be a soldier. But then he starts kind of, you know, Kaladin doesn't really play along, so he's kind of stuck in his own head there for a while. He's starting to do the math. Man, Elokar's dead. My dad's king of Eurythiru. Little Gav or whatever is, you know, not around. Oh, shit, that makes me king. (laughs) Right. He started singing, I just can't wait to be king? Question mark. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to think about that tomorrow. He's like, you know what, guys? We could take the long way. (laughs) So the last thing I wanted to bring up, too, is Sajaanat, who mm-hmm. was the one who corrupted the spren of the Oathgate. She had to because of Odium, but reached out to Shalan at the end of the last chapter that we saw her and said that she wasn't her enemy. Mm-hmm. And that even though Odium told her he that she was supposed to kill them, she was going to try and not kill them. Yeah. So she sent them to Shadesmar instead. And I think... It's an interesting way to bring up this whole idea of being able to choose your own destiny. And that's something that we've been following through and kind of the idea of is there is there any ultimate good or evil in this universe? Yeah. And even like so we we saw this with the the Parshendi who were kind of set up to be the bad guys, but then more and more were shown their side of the story yeah, yeah. and that really there is no bad guy. So then even we've got this this being who is absolutely set up as just uh you know this is a this is a ring wraith here this is yeah, like yeah, yeah, absolute yeah, yeah. darkness incarnate the unmade mm-hmm. are like they're just bad yucky evil creatures well the branding's not great right exactly <laughs> exactly i mean they really got to think about their marketing <laughs> you're going to call yourself the unmade it's, it's it's heavy i mean six letters say so much <laughs> 
But now we have one of these creatures who is is looking like she wants to do a heel turn. And so I, I just think that's really significant. The other um the other note I had is as sort of connected to that. They're they're on the other side of the oath gate and they can see the oath gate that she has manipulated, or the spren of the oath gate that she has manipulated, and it's like red in this color. And they say, oh, it must be his now, because that's what she was there to mm-hmm. facilitate, was to, to corrupt the spren. But all of those oath gates are connected in some way. Mm-hmm. Does this mean that potentially any time anybody connects to this oath gate, she could then maybe corrupt the other spren connected to the i have no idea uh, you know mm-hmm. probably not but yeah we don't know but it's something to think about but it definitely sounds like a bad idea to use that oath gate for sure anyway yeah that's like getting into a uber with a really creepy looking driver like how bad do you how bad you got how bad get- do you need to get where you're going how bad do you need to get to colonar now if you get an uber and the driver is just a giant black heart in the front seat <laughs> ask look ask for their uber like, yeah, like, license number. he was five make stars. them ask for your name he was five stars he gave me a <laughs> bottle of water he didn't say a damn thing chapter 90 is called reborn seth's son son valano truthless of shinovar has become just seth he's being trained along with five other hopefuls to become a skybreaker with his trusty, wise-cracking blade, Nightblood, Seth hopes to learn the secrets of the Radiance and use them to rain almighty justice down on those assholes in Shinovar who called him a liar. This is the lethal weapon of Stormlight. It is. Stormlight Archive. I'm getting too old for this shit. Right. Nightblood is the crazy Mel Gibson it character. Is ab- <laughs> Nightblood is absolutely Mel Gibson. I opened this chapter and I started reading and I was like, Seth. Yeah. Like I missed him. <laughs> yeah. You know? I was like, I didn't think I would ever miss you. Uh, and so if he couldn't get more badass, now his spirit is partially disconnected from his body. You know, sometimes I feel like Brandon Sanderson is just making this shit up. <laughs> you think he's making it up? <laughs> yeah. He's making it up, Chad. <laughs> I just, I don't. I think he's just making the shit up. <laughs> I forgot how much I love Nightblood, though. Oh, my gosh. Nightblood, yes. Everything he says is awesome. And I think it's I think it's a good choice to put him with one of the more rigid characters in Stormlight. So, by the way, if anybody is listening to this and they're like, why are they talking about breath and who is this character Nightblood? These are characters from the Warbreaker books, the Warbreaker book that we read. I think most listeners are familiar with it, mm-hmm. but in case anybody out there is confused, um, and none of this is really spoilers for that other book, but I'll tell you, uh, so far it's it's the favorite, my favorite thing I've read from Brandon Sanderson. It's really good, and it definitely enhances your enjoyment of Stormlight Archive if you have that background. Yeah. And especially when you can appreciate how... Nightblood was like built up to be not just a satisfying part of that story, but also to be part of this greater story. I know, yeah. And I swear it's like him and Seth were just made for each other. Um, 
you know, Seth's sort of rigid formality and reticence and Nightblood's just like, oh, come on, let's go yeah. destroy some evil, You're you know? You're no fun. Yeah. You know, Seth is all like tormented and self-doubting and he's so sure that he's always wrong. And Nightblood is like the exact opposite. He's yeah. like completely literal, matter of fact, absolutely sure that he's always right. The other thing I love about Nightblood, and, you know, we get it later, not in this chapter, in a different chapter, is the the turn. Mm-hmm. Like. Yes. Like, it's it's just. It's one it's one of my favorite things like yeah. that this sword is just so like you know w- one personality is such a like come on come on guys let's go we're going to go kill evil it's going to be great everybody loves it you know mm-hmm. you guys are no fun let's go out there and have a good time and then when Jaron is like Duh! Yes. <laughs> you know? And then when he comes back, too, he's like, what, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Did I destroy some evil? <laughs> oh, it's, I love it every time. Every time. So the other thing I noted, and this is my last note in this chapter, is Seth has voices. Dalinar has voices. Mm-hmm. Ehu has voices. Seems like you shouldn't be a mass murderer in the Cosmere. <laughs> there are consequences. There are consequences, asshole. And it's interesting, too, that Nightblood can hear Seth's voices. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. he says, oh, your the voices aren't as loud today. That's nice. Yeah. So I guess he, if he can hear his bearer's thoughts, then that yeah, would make sense. True. But but it is interesting that this, the voices are not just a figment of Seth's imagination, because no, it, Nightblood can hear them as well. And that's the sort of thing I think that became apparent to me in this section is, you know, Seth talks about the voices because we've had, you know, uh, some of his other chapters in Words of Radiance, we, mm-hmm. we we got that. And then we hear it in Dalinar, and you think, yeah, you know, most people, if they've experienced any kind of trauma, mm-hmm. have these sort of holdovers. They can see somebody's face, hear their voice. So this is n- not something we're unfamiliar with. So we just sort of assume it's not literal. And now in, in this section, I'm like, no. This is literal. Mm -hmm. They are literally hearing the voices. Mm -hmm. I love how Seth calls Nightblood sword Nimi. Yeah, yeah. I guess now that I think about it, I guess, I'm sorry, I'm going back. Mm -hmm. If he's hearing what's in his brain, that doesn't, still doesn't necessarily mean. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean it's an auditory voice that he's hearing. Or that it's it's external. Or that it's external. It also doesn't mean that it's just kind of a vague like if I think of hearing scream, you know, I think yeah, of yeah. remembering what screams sound like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to him, it's as real as the words that are going through his mind, his, yeah, yeah. his own internal mm-hmm. monologue. And the fact that Nail tells him that what he's hearing are trembles from the spiritual realm makes mm-hmm. it interesting because he did not heal Seth's madness. He used some kind of fabrial to yeah. heal his body, but was not able to heal his madness. Yeah. He said it was a, a side effect of, of what he'd been doing. So, and also, Nightblood talks about Vasher and Vivenna in this in this chapter and the, and the upcoming chapters. So that kind of reinforces that they were with him uh, up to fairly recently. Yeah. I love when he says, well, you have eyes. You can see all kinds of things, Seth, except, unfortunately, how useful I am. Yeah, right. So we also learn a couple of things about the the Skybreakers because it's kind of like Skybreaker boot camp. 
So it's like a little bit of exposition here. This is hut, what hut, we... Hut, 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 hut. Yeah. But what I kind of like is that unlike every other Order of Radiance that we've encountered, there's no like, you'll know when you find the ideal what, you know. <laughs> They're like, nope, no secrets. This is this is what it is. This is our regimen. We've been doing this for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. This is exactly how it's going to play out. So that's kind of refreshing. The Skybreaker way, baby. Yeah. So we also find out that um, Skybreakers seem to regularly kind of get to the third ideal or the fourth, um, but it's very rare to get to the fifth. Or no one has done it in hundreds of years. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, but it's interesting because it also, I mean, they have this whole hierarchy. We, you know, we saw in Edge Dancer, another adjunct novel, mm-hmm. uh, novella, we saw in Edge Dancer that there are other skybreakers that Nin had with him. Mm-hmm. They were not exceptionally powerful, mm-hmm. but they were there. Mm-hmm. But this implies this whole system of training and candidates and how many people are this implies that there are a fair number of them enough uh, to have like a training program like and probably a over a hundred by what seth was talking about yeah so meaning there's a, a bunch of relatively powerful radiance running around mm-hmm. that we don't know anything about mm-hmm. and what are they doing right this whole series so far, there's been like whole sections of the world where we do not know what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, and this is another piece of evidence telling us that there's a lot going on we mm-hmm. don't know about. The fact that the skybreakers are, their whole deal is choosing an ideal for themselves and then sticking to it no matter what. And that's going to be a very interesting thing, both plot-wise and kind of thematically as we're getting deeper into this book and kind of deeper into the I, the theme of what is, is there absolute good and evil? Is it all subjective? And what happens if you choose the wrong side and kind of like what we right, were talking yeah. about with Venley, mm-hmm. be careful what you worship. And if you pick the wrong thing, you know, what are the consequences of that? So Seth, you Might know. Might be why nobody can get to the fifth. I, And Seth is a particularly interesting character to explore this through because he already did choose the wrong kind of moral touchstone and that he decided that that his elders said he was truthless and that the only way he could redeem himself is by doing absolutely anything that his master said. And he ended up that ended up being way the wrong choice to make. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now he's trying to dig himself up from that. So what choice is he going to make going forward? Very compelling. Chapter 91 is called Why He Froze. Kaladin grapples with the aftermath of going catatonic on the battlefield. He rehashes a formative memory from when he was a new soldier. His ability to be in combat is based entirely on an us-versus-them mentality, and Kaladin does not know how to function without it. So we get this flashback memory of Kaladin right at in one of his earliest training exercises and and apparently he kind of froze up and he's been put on creme chipping duty but his old sergeant comes and talks to him mm-hmm. and Kaladin kind of indicates that like ha- like I don't know if I can do this I don't know if I can be the kind of person that will hurt anyone else mm-hmm. and we know that that is like the the central crisis of Kaladin's character yeah for sure you know his father was a c- absolute and total pacifist Kaladin, you know, kind of wanted to prove him wrong, and he thinks that he can go out and be a soldier if he does it for the right reasons, but 
it's but it's the central crisis of his character. So this gives us another piece to that puzzle that this sergeant kind of gave him the advice of, well, don't worry about all of that stuff. You just worry about getting your people out out of this alive, you know? Yeah, and it's, you know, so we sort of get that perspective on it, which is not, not really, not all that new. Right. It does sort of hint at an idea that I think we all know, and we've certainly talked about it with other characters before. It's a common thing that comes up with, you know, Jamie Lannister, and I think it's going in in A Song of Ice and Fire, and I think it's going to be sort of a central thing for the Radiance in general, this idea of you can't do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way to universally follow a code and never come up against a conflict where the code is wrong. Mm-hmm. We're never to protect your friends and your squad mates where you're not going to be in a situation where you're killing somebody who's also a good person, mm-hmm. you know, or defending someone who's a bad person, like this sort of messy reality. And this is the thing that Kaladin just can't cope with. Mm-hmm. So I'll bring it up now because I was going to bring it up later, but it's it's fine to bring it up now. In the last section, you know, the end of, of part three, there was a lot of talk about Shallan and her acceptance. And Wit talks about it to her directly. You know, accept the pain, but don't accept that you're, you're the cause of it. That's not yes. exactly what he says, but... Yeah, that's the gist, though. That's the gist. And you you said it in your comments as well that... You know, she has to understand and learn, and she is learning to accept who she is. She's not perfect, that there are imperfections in the world. She's not going to be perfect. Things aren't black and white. So that sort of acceptance is central to what's going on with her, and you can see her growing in that area. Kaladin is not. Mm-hmm. like, And that's sort of what I think is so frustrating to me mm-hmm. is because I think... Anybody who's lived any amount of life understands that, Mm -hmm. understands that there's not, there is no one right path Mm -hmm. and, you know, its choices are perfect and has, and that there aren't unforeseen consequences Mm -hmm. or people that get hurt. You know, life's not like that, you know, and if you've lived at all, you know that. He doesn't seem to know that. I mean, I think he knows it intellectually, but he can't accept it. That's a really good point. I think it's significant, too, that he's even still kind of knows that there's something wrong with him. Um, and he's he's getting through this crisis in Shadesmar by trying to just kind of suck it up and stuff things down. Yeah. Like, OK, well, I'll just I'll just keep walking. I, I, I'm fine. I can keep it together long enough to to get you all through this you know and that doesn't really cut it when you have this this whole your system of powers is based on your emotional and spiritual growth your growth as a person that doesn't really cut it and for sill to sit there you know his powers are based on his emotional growth her life is based on mm-hmm. whether or not <laughs> kaladin's depressed ass yeah you know decides to grow as a person and do the right thing or not so that's a really precarious situation for her 
and it makes it very kind of a very poignant interaction. And even I don't think it's in this chapter, but in another chapter, he sort of maybe it is this one I don't remember, but he sort of reflects on I'm going sort of down into that dark place again. That's where that's the place where I can justify doing mm-hmm. things like killing yeah. the king. So he's gone through this before. I suspect he'll learn something from it. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, this is frustrating for Kaladin, but he's still young. Right. You know, and I do have a certain amount of respect for somebody who wants to say, no, he wants to buck at that. Yeah. No, it's, I'm going to find, I'm going to find a way to do the right thing. You know, you, you like that dogged pursuit that he has, at least when he's in his right mind, mm-hmm. of trying to do the right thing. But it's it's still sort of frustrating in his sort of immaturity around understanding that that's not real. Yeah. It's not practical. Yeah. Chapter 92 is called Water Warm as Blood. Seth participates in the Skybreaker Trials. He and his fellow trainees are sent to hunt down and execute a group of escaped prisoners. But something about the test doesn't sit right with our complicated anti-hero. Seth rightly determines that the real test is to uncover the corruption inherent in the town's prison administration system, and he executes the head prison honcho using Nightblood. Nightblood is ecstatic to be drawn, but Seth wonders at Nail's purpose in giving him this weird talking sword. The chapter ends with Seth taking his second ideal as a squire and gaining the skies again. So I like that Seth doesn't take anything at face value anymore. Yeah. He's like, anything he's being told, he's like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Because the last authority figures told me I was truthless and that I had to obey everyone who held this rock. So I... <laughs> yeah. I'm just questioning everything. Hey. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> I've been down this. You're not tricking me again, are you? Anybody got a rock around here? <laughs> so my favorite line from this chapter is, honestly, Seth, I have to be frank. You aren't good at slaying evil. <laughs> <laughs> Not as funny as that, but one of my quotes is, uh, I knew a voice like yours once, Sword Nimi. The whispers? Mm. No, a single one in my mind when I was young. Seth shaded his eyes, looking across the glistening lake. I hope things go better this time. <laughs> yeah. What, That's what, a juicy tidbit. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'd be hard for them not to go better, mm. I mean, really. Right. Uh, what voice is it that he's referencing? Was there mm. a spren trying to bond to him? We know he saw something that caused him to know that the radiants were coming back. Uh-huh. That caused him to be deemed to be truthless and kicked out of Shinovar. Did I miss something or do we just not know? I mean, it seems to obviously be hinting that it was some it's, sort of it's a hint. I, yeah. You haven't missed anything, though. Okay. All right. Yeah. The other thing he says is he says, so perhaps the sword's origin was with the heralds. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I'm starting to, th- you know, I'm, I'm already starting to think that the heralds are not unique to Roshar. They don't, mm-hmm. they're, they're ubiquitous across the Cosmere. They probably have different names or do different things in different areas. If this is true, though, if this statement is true, that Nightblood is from the the Heralds, which, by the way, we know where Nightblood came from. Right. So, but that doesn't mean that, there, it doesn't mean they wouldn't have different names and different mm-hmm. areas. Um, 
anyway. If the statement is true, then that would sort of make my hypothesis that the heralds are are not unique to Roshar. It would make that true as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that the reason that Seth speculates that Nightblood is from the heralds is that he is talking about Shashara, who was his creator. And he says, well, that sounds kind of like Shalash, who was one of the heralds. But now we kind of know that Shalash is the mistress and that she's walking around alive. And we know that Shashara was killed by Vasher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that she's pretty dead. So that's all oh, yeah, yeah. Good. information yeah. that we have so far. Yeah, good point. But there's definitely probably a parallel between the heralds and the, you know, the kind of supreme god-like beings on the planet of Warbreaker as well, Mm -hmm. of which Vasher is one. I like where Nightblood says, all right, here's what you have to do. Fight him and win, Seth. (laughs) (laughs) So we have, again, the sort of reveal at the end, you know, that Seth is like the real bad guy here. He pulls the mask off the dummy and (laughs) I'd have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you stinking skybreakers. Um, So we have that sort of reveal, right? And I like that Seth asks them, if you knew this was going on all along, why did you wait? Mm -hmm. I like that he asks that. Yes. Their response is that, you know, we are here to protect the law to this point. He had not broken the law. Mm-hmm. He had to fail for it, you know, for it to happen, which is sort of good in one respect because it's like, okay, we're here to give people an opportunity to figure things out, except that's not where they're coming at it from. And the other part of it that I thought was interesting is they point out that he had been misappropriating the funds for the prison. And I'm like, so that's not a crime? Mm. So I guess there's just no sort of white-collar crime right. in Roshar. That's, no. You know, which, okay, I mean. I really like here, kind of on a deeper level, how Kaladin and Seth's stories are sort of starting to align thematically. And they both remind me of the one of the stories that Wit told about the... The people on the island who did terrible things in the name of their king, yeah, you know, for years and years, and then finally they found out that their king had been dead for decades, yeah. and they had been perpetrating all of these horrible crimes for no reason, and then they just tore themselves apart. And you know, obviously that was really relevant to Seth's journey, and that he was became the assassin in white, and he found out it was for no good reason. Yeah, and now kind of Kaladin was struggling with the same thing. You know, this idea of how do we justify doing harm? And so it's kind of, for me, it's kind of a, you've got this kind of spectrum I drew a chart. <laughs> of course you did. Um, But, you know, on, on one side, you've got like Liren, who is completely just a pacifist and you, you don't do harm ever to anyone. Mm-hmm. There's no good reason for it. So kind of you've got pacifism on one side and then just like sheer aggression on the other side. So on one side, you've got like Liren, who's just a total pacifist. You never do anything to harm anyone ever. And, you know, on the other side, you've got like Sadius, who is like harm anyone for absolutely any reason, (laughs) as long as it, you know, slightly benefits me and maybe Alethkar. But and that's just interesting to look at where everybody kind of falls on that spectrum. 
you know, whether they're willing to harm people for ideals. You know, Kaladin's sort of in the middle. He's like, well, it's okay to harm people as long as my people are being protected, you know, versus Seth, who is like, it's okay to harm people as long as I'm following the orders of someone who is better than me, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just interesting to look at how we, you know, Brandon Sanderson explores the idea of what is a good guy? Yeah. You know, who is the good guy in this spectrum? If you look at it sort of early in the series, you know, obviously you would say, well, Kaladin is, he's the goodest. He's the goodest of the good guys. You know, he's kind of built up as he's the hero. You know, when you compare him to Liren, who's got this, his like extreme pacifism and kind of non-interventionalism caused all these problems for his family. Yeah. You know? Well, and, to be fair, he did also steal. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He... But but his his way of going about things like was not the most honorable. Oh, true, yeah. Um, and then you've got Seth who is carrying out these evil acts for what we as the reader know is a, is a not a good cause. Um, so Kaladin is here protecting the downtrodden. But now in this turn of the story, even Kaladin's code of morality is having holes poked in it. Yeah, you know because now he's in this quandary of well, if all, all I'm trying to do is protect my people and that makes what I'm doing okay. What if both sides are my people and all of a sudden he can't function? It's just an interesting exploration of how do you pick a moral code and what are the consequences when you pick one and what is the importance of flexibility? Yeah, You know, and kind of listening to your own conscience. So the other thing that I think is fascinating about that is that Brandon Sanderson, again, you know, we talk about the stories within the stories. I'm always a big fan of it. We had the example last time. It may have been the episode before. I don't remember precisely where we had uh, the girl who who climbed again from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Right? I had not thought about this until you mentioned the story about the island and the king. But when you brought that up, it caused me to think, what if the other telling of this story the king who is dead mm-hmm. and people have been doing terrible things in his name for years. What if the king is honor? Mm. And what if the terrible, you know, residents of the island who have been ter- doing terrible things are the Alethi who have been killing every motherfucker they can, but mm-hmm. it's okay because they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get into the tranquil and halls. Right. Right. You know, and it all kind of ties in beautifully, too, with the central crisis of Nightblood's existence. You know, it's explained in Warbreaker that Nightblood was created as a, he's a basically a sentient object. So he was created and he was given one instruction on his creation, and that was to destroy evil. Destroy evil. And they're like, well, that's that could never be a bad thing, right? <laughs> but then the problem is, what if, you know one person's understanding of evil is not the same as another person's. It's a subjective concept. So if you have this sword that doesn't understand what evil is, and I don't think it's this chapter, but maybe a later one where Seth asks him, well, what is evil? And he says, well, you're smart. You would recognize evil, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But I think, and I think that's why I find Seth's redemption arc to be so compelling because He's on a journey to find a higher ideal to serve, but he also understands the consequences of choosing the wrong one. So is he going to become a better person? We don't know. But I just love how he the these two books and these two series are being just tied together so seamlessly. Yeah, that's interesting. You know? 
Chapter 93 is called Kata. Shallan takes stock of her group's supplies, while Adolin, Kaladin, and Azure practice a morning kata. Strangely, they all seem to know the same one, learned from Zahel the Swordmaster. Huh. We learn more about the Three Realms and about the mysterious Azure before the group is forced into a hasty retreat from some large, nasty beast spren. So this is one of those scenes where Adolin wakes up and his... And his yeah. dead sprint is just standing Staring there, like nose to nose with him. <laughs> You're going to scare me like that and not give me bacon? What the fuck? <laughs> right. So this is also the chapter where Adolin has this thought. He thought again of the jolt he'd felt when ramming his dagger through Sadius' mm-hmm. eye and into his brain. Ooh, mm-hmm. Satisfaction and shame strip away Adolin's nobility and what was left, a duelist when the world needed a general. A hothead who couldn't even take an insult. A murderer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, a little perspective. Mm-hmm. Refreshing. Like, he's starting yeah. to come around yeah. to that. I can just see him. I can just see Shallan being like, hey, what you thinking about? And he'd be like, I didn't murder anybody. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. I mean, look, I was in the area. I did a little drinking, a little <laughs> flirting, a little murder. I mean, I, I've said too much. <laughs> right. So this is where we get pretty big hints dropped. If I hadn't already kind of just spilled it to you, um, who Zahel is and um, that he's connected to Azure and that and who they both are kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for me, it just makes like, uh, the mystery. What happened? How did they get here? Yeah, there's a lot that they happened between the end of Warbreaker and how they, and now. Yeah. You know, we don't. No spoilers, but. It is not, the end of Warbreaker was not them going, hmm, let's head to a planet called Roshar and yeah. all gets separated. Like, it's def- yeah, it's, it's definitely not. Not where that book ended. Yeah. We know there's supposed to be a second book yes. to Warbreaker. Yes, called it, Nightblood. It's not meant to be a direct continuation, I don't believe, but meaning Warbreaker was meant to be a standalone novel. Right, yes. Well, I, th- I feel like I could be wrong. Chime in if someone knows better than me. I feel like it was written to give Nightblood a backstory. Well, it was a hell of, it was a, hell of a novel if that was, a, that was the case. No, I, I, yeah, I don't think that, that Nightblood was cobbled into Stormlight Archive. I think it was a planned thing. It, well, is there any doubt? Probably not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, Adolin's... Got some good character moments in this chapter. He, not only the one that you talked about, but also his coming to a realization that, okay, there's some weird shit going on. There's a whole world made of beads, like, overlaying my world, you know. Women with gray hair. Women with gray hair. (laughs) Everything has a soul. What the hell? You know, but he kind of goes through and he goes, you know what? Okay, all this stuff has been here the whole time. I just know about it now, so I'm just we're just gonna have to move on with that knowledge, <laughs> you know. I'm like, no, he's I mean okay. he's coping with the situation. Yeah, I think better than any of them mm-hmm. because I mean he wasn't there to. I don't think he was there to see Elicar get killed. Mm-hmm. But again, Elicar was his uncle, uh, cousin. cousin, cousin. Sorry, cousin. Yeah, his family. You know, it's and, his, and close as a brother. You know, yeah, they spent years together. So it was his 
family member that mm-hmm. got killed. Yeah. He's the one who is now king. And Kaladin's freaking moping around like. I'm not trying to dismiss right. what happened to Kaladin. Yeah. But, uh, you know, then you look at the, the ladies who were present and they've been here before. Mm hmm. So at least they have some understanding of what it is they're in. Yeah. You know, Adolin has none of that. He doesn't have a spren he can talk to. Mm-hmm. Like, so the way he's coping with it is miraculously healthy. Yeah. So I'm sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to get on the other side, hit hit dirt, and just completely fall apart. Uh-huh. I love Shalon's list of supplies. He's like, and one jar of jam that I've been saving for a snack. Yes. An emergency jar of jam. You know. That's my girl. Kaladin's <laughs> <laughs> got beef jerky and hardtack. Yeah, yeah. You know, nice. Practical things. Like practical thing. She's like, I've got five colored pencils and a jar of jelly. Maybe think of our youngest child who one time packed a Tupperware full of jelly as her. Yeah, as her lunch. lunch. And like pepperoni or something as like taco that. meat. Taco meat. That's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> jelly and taco. Jelly meat. and taco meat. So, some information from Azure. She told them that the last time she crossed Shadesmar, it took four weeks, and that she came to Roshar chasing someone. Mm-hmm. And when they asked if it was a friend, she said. It was a criminal. So obviously, Vasher did something bad and fled. I'm thinking. Oh, you think it's Vasher? I. Th- that's what I'm thinking. Although probably by telling you I'm thinking that, I have now told you that it's not revealed. Maybe it is and I just don't remember, but that's what I'm thinking. I definitely would have not thought it would have been Vasher. Mm-hmm. But, who, but who knows? Because I thought she said that she came with Vasher. Did she? No, well, no. She I thought did. she said she came alone. No, she definitely. She had she guides. Came she yeah. came chasing, came chasing someone, yeah. and she went ended up in the wall guard because she went there thinking, uh, went to Colinar thinking that they would have information about whoever she was chasing. Hmm. Anyway, we can speculate about that, but she does flat out tell them that she's not a herald. Um, and she's not a radiant. She says, I'm just a woman who's been constantly out of her league since adolescence. So very Vivenna thing to say. And that her, her spren does, her blade does not have a spren because it's flawed. It's an inferior version of what theirs. Yeah. I thought that was does. a peculiar thing to say. Like I just beca- simply because I would have, I would have not thought of it that way, mm-hmm. you know, who, like it's from a whole nother world, right? Why would you presume it would have a spren? Mm-hmm. That that sort of insinuates that there's a lot of other magical items in other worlds that have spren in them, or maybe they don't, and maybe they're not as I don't know. I'm not reading other books in the Cosmere. Um, I mean, if so the spren know. is the soul of an object, then I think that's a constant across the Cosmere. But by that token, every sword has a spren. Yes, but not necessarily a an animating spread. You know what I'm saying? It's not a high spread. Yeah, does yeah. not have self. Does not have awareness. Mm-hmm. 
there are like little bead spren, and then there are spren that are more like people. She's like, it's just a cool looking sword, it's man. Just, <laughs> it's just a cool sword, you guys. <laughs> and she tells them more about the three realms, which is kind of laid out for us. There's the physical realm, obviously, but it's connected by portals, and the closest one is called Cultivation's Perpendicularity, and it's in the Horn Eater Peaks. Sounds like something you would hear on the Big Bang Theory. It does, yeah. And then the cognitive realm, where the Spren live, um, but they get pulled into the physical realm by human emotions, but we only see little bits of them. And then the spiritual realm, where the gods live, and all things, times, and spaces are made into one. But... I just, I kind of geek out about this whole world building aspect because it speaks to this deeper truth that like we're all connected by ideas. And I love that no matter what world Brandon Sanderson is playing in, there are still these three realms are are there. And the fact that they're all connected through the realm of ideas and emotions, I just think that's pretty cool. Uh, well, I think also, you know, it talks about Spren being drawn uh, by human emotions. And it reminds me, I don't think it was this chapter. I think it was another one. But Sill says, we don't eat. We don't sleep. I think we might feed off of humans. Actually, your emotions. Yeah. And I was like, I've been eating my emotions for years. <laughs> it's way more calories than you would think it has. <laughs> Oh, sorry. That one took me by surprise. (laughs) Chapter 94 is called A Small Bottle. It's flashback time, and Dalinar is drying out. Boy, does it suck. He had been doing all right while he and Gavilar were hunting on the Shattered Plains, and the discovery of the Parshendi kept him occupied for a little while, but now that he's back in civilization, he is tormented again with the memories of what he did in Rothalus. His self-loathing begins to make him resent his children, and he lashes out at them. Little Renarin takes care of his father in the best way that he knows, by saving up his pocket money to buy him a small bottle. And then everybody cried. (laughs) It's a sad chapter. Freaking sad. I mean, for me, there's not much else to say about it, but just that where he's like throwing things and he's raging at his kids and they run off and then he's collapsed on the floor and Renarin comes up and taps him on the shoulder. And this is a kid that Dalinar has never connected with, has doesn't even know how old he is, it's trying to take care of him in a way that nobody else has, you know, yeah. and trying to see him and 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 saying kind things about him at a time when Dalinar can't accept that from anyone. It's very heartbreaking. It is. The only comment I have on this chapter, and it's not an Adolin chapter, but we never get Renarin's perspective, and we do right. get Adolin's perspective. So we, we we see here the kind of, you know, animal that he's being, but we never see Adolin in any of his perspective hate on his father. Mm. You know, and I think we get an understanding later of why that is, and I think it's highly relevant. Mm-hmm. So more to come in other chapters. Chapter 95 is called Inescapable Void. The trip to Shadesmar has been particularly hard for Kaladin. 
After the trauma in Kolinar, he feels his depression creeping back. He tries to fight it, but he is still becoming more and more detached. The gang reaches a lighthouse where they hopefully will find supplies and a ship to get them to the perpendicularity. So this is where Kaladin's walking around, and because Mm -hmm. he's just sort of trying to avoid going into depression, he's getting angry at at his circumstances, and he's frustrated Mm -hmm. because he wants to try to get back to his men. and, Mm -hmm. And so this is coming out as anger, and it's attracting dangerous spren. Right. So I have this quote, your emotions are inconvenient, <laughs> said Pattern and middle-aged fathers. <laughs> and then they, you know, after they're they're trying to figure out why where the Spren are coming around. But how did we draw them? Nobody was angry, right? Mm. Kaladin, Sil said. Kaladin James Stormblessed. <laughs> so yeah, I love this part where Kaladin realizes that He's not actually angry at anyone, but his feelings are kind of coming out sideways and that he's just wants to feel something and he's he's latching on to anger. But this is just such a a cool way of exploring the destructive power of emotions. Cuz here you are in a realm where your feelings will literally turn into monsters and destroy you. Yeah, right. And I love this idea that, like, so in in the physical realm, they see anger spren as, like, this bubbling pool of liquid. And they're like, no, that's just the saliva dripping from their slavering mouths. You know I mean? It's just, you know. So this is where, you know, the perspective thing gets raised. And and he says, too many eyes to see through, too many emotions. Uh, Were these his only two options, pain or oblivion? He's talking about sort of going into his little uh, depression. You know, this is where I mentioned earlier his sort of, he's becoming aware of like different perspectives, which he's already been aware of, but he he still lacks the acceptance to, mm-hmm. to understand that people can, good people can have competing perspectives, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it's it's a little bit frustrating. But th- is this the chapter where they, they run into the old man at the end? No, not yet. No, yeah, I think no, it's the next no, one. No. I like how Brandon Sanderson kind of goes into Kaladin's depression a little bit here. And it's a very realistic for anyone who's who's struggled with it. And he talks about how depression can feed off of anything. And he's saying, you know, uh, is life going well? Then the darkness could whisper that he was only setting himself up for a bigger fail. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, I just think that's so true of depression. It distorts your perspective on everything and you can feel it coming on. But if you don't have tools in place to deal with it, which Kaladin does not, because he's been kind of just distracting himself in the good times and not actually building any kind of support system, then it's just going to keep coming back around. So I just thought that was a very realistic take on it. Chapter 96 is called Pieces of a Fabriel. Navani and Dalinar head to the first meeting of the monarchs in Urethiru. Navani is worried. Ever since his meeting in Azir, Dalinar ain't been right. Iali does her best to sabotage the meeting, but Navani is a political baller and manages to get everyone on the same page. Yes, yeah, she is. Am I saying the word baller too much? I feel like no. that's three times in this podcast. No, you are a 42-year-old white woman. <laughs> <laughs> If I can't say the word baller, who can? <laughs> who can? 
God. I took the cap off of my flat white from Starbucks <laughs> and I just threw it away. <laughs> Rolling in my Dodge Caravan. <laughs> I'm getting silly. You know what? It's been a long time since we've podcasted this late. <laughs> yeah, I think that maybe that's the secret yeah. to being ridiculous. Okay. I love this part where Navani is making the monarchs carry in their own chairs. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. And as well. the Lopin yeah. comes in with like a full padded throne. Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> and Iali is the only one who, you know, disobeys it mm-hmm. and is like, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. Um, I had the feels when she was telling him that I'm sure Elicar and Adolin are somewhere safe and I'm yeah. sure they made it out. And I was like, ah. Yeah, they didn't. Well, no. Elicar didn't, yeah. But I mean, for this, for me, this chapter didn't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, I it's think it was important plot-wise, yeah. but it was pretty straightforward. Yeah, it is. Um, other than, I think, like her sort of perspective on Dalinar mm-hmm. and sort of how, as much as they're together all the time, how wrong she is. Right. You know? Yeah. The only quote, the only note I have in this chapter is her quote where she says, they needed the Blackthorn. She needed the Blackthorn. Unleash the Blackthorn. <laughs> right. The Blackthorn is not what they need. No. She might need a little Blackthorn. Right. But... but that is not what they need right now. No, and it was. It's cool to watch Navani kind of how she handles this, despite Iale definitely trying to sabotage what she's doing. I don't even know that Iale was trying to sabotage. Oh, it. she was trying to sabotage that crafty bitch. Did you see her? Well, she was doing a. Well, she was definitely doing some things, but I feel like her comments weren't necessarily purely about sabotaging. You know. They were simply coming from a different place, a wrong place. But. Mm-hmm. She was sabotaging. <laughs> Chapter 97 is called Rhino. Rhino? Sure. There's been sure a lot of new that. names in there this section. There have been some that new names. You'll have, to, you'll have to correct us. Yes, please. In this chapter, in the lighthouse, Kaladin finds the re-oracle, who assumes that he's come for a reading. Kaladin asks to trade for supplies instead, then accidentally puts his hand on the oracle's future magic ball. (laughs) He sees a vision of Dalinar surrounded by nine shadows in terrible danger. Desperate to get home, the gang decides to take the next available ship, which is heading to the nearby city of Celebrant, which is near Rothalus. Hmm, man. So he goes to see the old psychic man. Old psychic man. Did I ever tell you about the time I went to see a psychic? I uh, you did not. So yeah, up over by college there was one of the there was a, a psychic and I, I went to see her one time. But I knew Is this a real story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I knew that she wasn't real because she didn't slap me. Cause you went in thinking impure thoughts. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That, that that is the joke. Yes. That's the joke. I had to say it out loud. That's the, the joke. No, it's not a real story. <laughs> no. Damn it. No. 
So we do open this chapter with another kind of traumatic Kaladin flashback just to reinforce that he's been through some shit. He's been through some shit. Yeah, um, yeah with the, the, the lady who gets caught by the bear trap. It's pretty awful. Yeah. But it just kind of reinforces what he's going through. Like, yeah. it's not... I mean, this is, what, a 19, 20-year-old kid? I think he's, yeah, 22, 23, Early maybe. 20s yeah. and, and has been through maybe ext- that old, yeah. extremely horrible things. Um, so it, it definitely makes him a little bit more his situation a little bit more sympathetic. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about Adolin sort of handling things better. And and he is handling the situation mm-hmm. better. There's no there's no doubt about it. Um and not that Adolin hasn't has had no tragedy in his life, clearly. We talked about Elicar and his, you know, other things that have happened, but but Adolin's not carrying, you know, mm-hmm. nearly the kind of baggage the mm-hmm. Kaladin's carrying. Adolin's coming on with a little rolly bag, mm-hmm. and Dalinar's got, you know, he's got yeah. 47 duffel bags and a wagon yeah. cart with no wheels on it mm-hmm. he's trying to drag around. You know, it, it's a different thing that he's bringing to it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a note, too, about Shalon, who says that Vale still feels broken from what happened yeah. in Kolinar. And then she says, where would Shalon hide now? As Radiant? Yeah, I noted that as well. Yeah. How about you you don't? You're right. You know. The um I have a couple of notes as well. So one I can't help but feel like it's significant that the old man is Shin. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't really know why at this point. I I I don't think it's I don't think there's any doubt that there's something mm-hmm. very significant going on right. in Shinavar and with right. the Shin people. But it'll be interesting to see if we run into any other people here, and any other humans, and, and who they are, what they are. But I, th- I think there's something going to be significant about that. The other, the other one I had is a note from Adolin when they're talking about you know where they are, and he says, or where the ship is going anyway. And it, it's uh, he says Rothalus, uh, that was where my mother was killed, assassinated by rebels. Her death drove my father into a fury. We almost lost him to the despair. And I wrote, ah. Mm-hmm. Now it makes sense as to why Adolin never thinks bad mm-hmm. about his father through those years. Because of the lie that they crafted that because he did not want to think bad about his father, he chose to believe. Mm-hmm. But now we understand that like his perception of his father is based on a lie. Mm-hmm. And we also understand that Adolin is carrying around this huge secret and lie as well. Yeah. That is a very good point. I love Syl and Pattern kind of bonding. You know, they kind of set up to be in opposition to each other and Honor, Spren, and Cryptics never get along. And so it's kind of cool then to be like, be like, so... You're not a horrible monster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and we get some interesting world building about, you know, about Shades Mar, and mm-hmm. they talk about the geography and the cities, yes. and that there's cities, and in the cities there are honor spread, and there are, you know, so we definitely get some some good world building about Shades Mar in general. I also noted that in the lighthouse, there's some. Um, art that's described and one of the pictures is a group of low houses clustered before an enormous wall that had light glowing behind it 
Yeah. So that, of course, makes me think of the girl who looked up story. Mm-hmm. We also have a conversation with Saja Anat, who reaches out to them to, through a corrupted glory spren and warns them that Odium suspects that they might be alive, but that she's trying to hold him off. And so, you know, we saw Odium also in one of the interludes, and we didn't ever really brought it up because mm-hmm. it wasn't oh, right. s- super, super relevant. But so, but he's becoming more of a constant presence. And, yes, you know. Yes, because he's appearing in the Everstorm to some of his followers. So yeah. what I thought was significant about that is that Sajanat says, for some reason he thinks you're an else caller. Yes. And the person who we know who is an else caller is Yasna. Well, and because Shalon has deliberately made people think she was an else caller. Oh, that too, yeah. She she convinced Dalinar to pretend like that's what she was. Yeah. To keep her abilities hidden. Which wound up being a good thing. Sure See? did. Time Absolutely. is a little lying to your future father-in-law. <laughs> not always a bad thing. I thought it was cool how um, the seer thinks Kaladin is from the Warbreaker planet. So there must be... Because yeah, he yeah, asks yeah, yeah, what yeah. heightening he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I he says, oh, you're too. invested. And he said, what heightening are you? Yeah. And then... Um, so there must be that must be more common than radiance. Well, I think around. I think the idea is that he was clear, clearly carrying stormlight, right? And in his mind, the radiance haven't returned. So right. if he's carrying stormlight, it had to be breath. Breath, exactly. That's just a little bit more evidence that they're kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So what we find out when when. Kaladin does touch the oracle and gets a vision that that comes from the spiritual realm and that there's a very strong taboo against seeing the future in, in other worlds as well. And Azure even says, even the gods of my land only catch glimpses of the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. And we know that in, so in the world of Warbreaker, when sometimes when people die, they get a vision of the future and they come back to help fulfill that. And that's, you know, what the, the kind of gods of her realm are. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of neat to connect those dots between the worlds as well. But that being able to see the future the way Kaladin did is still, you know, very much taboo in Shadesmar as well. So, and then wait, I'm like, okay. So then they're they're getting ready. They're waiting for this ship. And Adolin hands Kaladin a small cylindrical squat cylinder, which he opens with a device. And inside is salty rationed fish. And I'm like, are they... They literally They're eating tuna fish. Just ate a They're can of tuna fish. It's eating tuna. <laughs> they just ate a can of tuna. Like, like okay, or sardines, or whatever. but it sounded. I think they ate tuna. It sounded like goddamn chicken of the sea. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> what it sounded like. I hope they brought the store brand. <laughs> just the store brand tuna is it's always, always better. better. It's always better. You know why? The mercury. <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> uh, I haven't told the mercury poisoning story, have I? Um, no. Another time. Another time. Yeah. It explains a lot, listeners. It does. <laughs> it really does. Chapter 98 is called Loopholes. Seth and the other Skybreaker Squires play some Roshar and paintball. He's having a great time until he remembers that thing about all the people he murdered. His prowess causes the other squires to gang up on him, but he finds a clever way to win the contest anyway. 
He even manages to impress some high spren. He's ready to swear his third ideal, but before he can, Nail shows up and tells them all to pack. He's going to tell them the greatest two secrets that he knows. It's the greatest damn secret ever. There's no better secret. It's huge. <laughs> this secret is huge. It's huge. We've got to go all the way to China. My note is Seth plays Quidditch. Right. <laughs> I thought it was paintball, but yeah. My so per- I just loved Seth being like, like kind of joining the the Kitty Academy sort of training. Yeah. And I, I thought it was cool because I, you know, you, we've had a couple of chapters of him just being like, Seth the Squire and blah, blah, blah. And then in this one, we were reminded and he even says he was the assassin in white and this is a game. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, he's like, you know what, y'all? It's time to show off. Time to show off. Well, this this is sort of the end of our section. It's the flat, dead middle of a part. Mm-hmm. It's not going to have a satisfying conclusion. Right. But this chapter is particularly unsatisfying as, as a conclusion. As an ending, right. As an sure, ending, right. Because I'm about to tell you the secret. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Chad has to wait. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and as I'm reading this, I'm like, you know, again, why are we he, like yeah, yeah, yeah you know we understand like we understand he can play quidditch the you know the point that's good is that again he asks important questions mm-hmm. and he finds a loophole you know, mm-hmm. like you know he finds another way but it wasn't like it just wasn't like it's fine as a chapter but mm-hmm. it's but it's um it's like okay can we you know can we get on with mm-hmm. it now and we don't get to in this section we have to wait until episode 114 <laughs> oh so i have a a quote from nightblood that i loved where he he said or he's talking about vasher again he says do you know vasher he teaches swords to people now which is funny because vera Trelides always says vasher isn't any good with the sword yeah, no, yeah. Like, i'm like Nightblood is just like the toddler of your nightmares that will repeat anything you say about anyone. Yeah, right. Right to their face. Exactly. But again, there's just another hint if you hadn't already picked up on who Vasher is in this world. Yeah, the, um, so I I have a couple of comments, uh, a couple of quotes rather. First one he says, he was only a tool of retribution, not redemption, for he dared not believe in such. And I said, that's not healthy. Mm. Like, that's not good. So if we ever get to a place where we're like, yeah, Seth is going to be a good guy. No, mm-hmm. no, that's not what this is going to. I mean, who's to say? He might mm-hmm. he might turn out to be, but that's not the path he's on right now. Mm-hmm. The other one is uh, later, he said, Seth suddenly felt frustrated by their games. And I'm like, me too. Right? Mm-hmm. Nin had promised him the opportunity to cleanse Shinovar. What time was there for games? You know? And then, of course, we have the, tonight, you will learn the two greatest secrets that I know. And mm-hmm. by tonight, I mean episode 114. <laughs> it's all very timey-wimey. <laughs> timey-wimey. So that's it. That's all I have. That's it. So are you excited to read the next section? I am excited to read the next section. So it is not the end. Is it? It's not the entire conclusion of part four, but we get more, right? It is, yeah, it is not, but it should okay, end right. on a decent-ish arc. That's fine. I mean, it'll end where it ends. Are you ready for listener interactions? We are. So, of course, we put our post up. 
you know, hey, we're going to record tonight. Give us your questions. And the first one comes from Brian Kemper. He says, this is more of a comment than a question, but I've made some clips from Oathbringer's audiobook, and one is of Dalinar and Renarin. Is there anybody who does not want to hug Renarin at this point? I want to hug him. He probably would not like to be hugged. No, no, most likely not. Yeah. Katrina Knudsen says, ooh, game time. Ooh. Let's play the, see, we've got all kinds of new games in this episode. Let's play the alternate realm version of Mary Bike Ride Cliff. I call it Stranded, Banish, and Burninate. <laughs> Burninate. Trogdor. The Burninator. So Stranded, you wind up in an alternate reality with no clear chance of escape. Banish, you can banish one person of your choosing to this alternate realm, or burn an eight you find your friends stuck there, uh, but with a small hope of uh, hatching a foolhardy plan to escape and burn shit to the ground uh, in your wake as you leave. Here are your places. Shadesmar, the Fae, and the Upside Down. So which place? Well, one, you can strand. Burn an eight the Upside Down. Right. Obviously, we're agreed on that. There's nothing good there. No, I'm with you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm with I, d- I wanted to think about it and think it through, but no, I'm with you. Yeah, for sure. Burninate the upside down. Absolutely. I mean, I would... I would... I would... Be stranded in the Fae. Absolutely. You I banish mean, somebody to Shadesmar. Yeah. Uh, I Listen, you can only eat so much tuna. There's... <laughs> Nothing fun there. It's true. <laughs> Unless you brought your own jar of jam. Right? <laughs> Man. No, that is clearly the right choice. <laughs> oh, and she also says alternate places for Liz, who I think said she was too scared to watch Stranger Things. <laughs> I did watch it. I screwed up my courage and watched it. And it was scary, but it was good. But she also said Shades Mar the Fay and London Below. Which is tougher because London Below is, there are certain characters there that I, I have massive problems with, but I, I, it's a very cool world of like these alternate Londons. So in that case, I would probably burn an eight shades Mar. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I would change mine there too. Yeah. Gustavo Godinho says, to what purpose do you think the Ghostbloods want to reunite Ash with Talon? And also, what do you think this Aether substance is? It's mustard. It's mustard. <laughs> it's definitely mustard, but the good kind. <laughs> Coarse mustard. And none of that chartreuse yellow French is bullshit you like. Don't talk bad about my mustard over there. <laughs> Man, I got, no, I got no earthly clue. No idea. Madsen Sparler says... Can we review the shortlist for the potential next series if it's not jumping the gun too much? Mm. Throw your suggestions at us. Yeah. Absolutely. We don't have a lot of time to, to right. choose. I mean, I, we kind of... Four think more we, episodes, and then we'll probably... In this book, and then we'll, we'll probably have a couple of saga coverage episodes in there as well. Yeah. So we will be choosing soon. Well, yeah. I, I've thrown a couple ideas at Chad. I think we have a, I think we have a short list. But. Right. So Brian McClure says, "What are your thoughts on the Skybreakers now that we have a better look at them as an organization?" 
So I think we kind of addressed this in the chapter. I haven't really changed my thought that these aren't the good guys, but there's a lot more of them than I thought that there would be, which tells me they've been way more active Mm -hmm. than I realized. That's kind of my thoughts. Right. I mean, the fact that they did not end at all after the recreants, that they've been going on and on for thousands of years is, that's wild. Yeah. Brian also says, who is Dalinar's beggar friend? That's the criminal that Azure's hunting. Oh, well, that's another one of his questions. He also says, how many world hoppers do you think they are? Do you think there are? I'm getting more of an impression there are more of them than we think. 14,000. <laughs> well, it definitely sounds like there are more from the world of Warbreaker than other places, at least that have passed through. They must through. be close. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we yeah. Other than Wit, I think all of them are from Warbreaker. That I know of. There are others from other places that are mentioned very subtly um, Hmm, that I only know about from reading interviews with Brandon Sanderson. Ian James Crone says, best bands to make theme songs for Stormlight Archive by genre. Oh, this is great. I I can't even begin. You have to answer this one. I can't even begin to come up with. All right. So we're going to relate a band in a given genre to make theme music for Stormlight Archive. Okay, for, that's great. First genre is metal. Uh, Queensryche. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Mm, okay, I'm coming back to coming back to that one. All right, jazz. Art Blakey and the Messengers. Okay. Hard rock. Does Primus count as hard rock? Yeah. I'm going Primus. Okay. Pop. All right, this might sound strange. Duran Duran. Hmm. Because I can see Adolin humming along to some Duran Duran. I can absolutely see that. And a lot of Aleth Carr kind of reminds me of like 80s aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Not, um, not the aesthetic per se, but the vibe of like, hey, it's cool. We're bros. Let's mm-hmm. shove somebody weaker than us down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Like, so so that's why I'm going there. And K-pop, I don't know any K-pop bands. Yeah. So I can't really answer that one. Tom Waits. <laughs> Katrina Knudsen says, morbid question alert. Oh, we love those. If you had a fancy sword made of the corpse of someone who is mostly dead and could also go on a wacky adventure with that mostly dead person in an alternate realm, do you have any preference about who in the history of the world you'd want your corpse sword to be made out of? Uh, Tom Waits. He's not dead. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Pretty much. much. Samuel Clemens. It it sounds almost sacrilegious, but I think Tolkien would make an epic dead sword guy. Ooh, yeah. I'm just saying. His sword would be fancy. It's true. It's true. Aaron Paez says, I'm a little behind yet on episode 108. 
You had someone ask about why the women wear gloves or cover their safe hand. In my mind, it was always simply that the mar- this is the marriage hand, so that's something only their husband should see. You know, I hadn't connected that. Yes, that is where, you know, generally we wear the ring on the left hand. It's also most people's, it's not their dominant hand. So I guess if you have to wrap one in an envelope, yeah. <laughs> you can <laughs> just pick that one. <laughs> I still say that there's some something that radiant women were able to do with, with the, their left with hand. their left hands. Ah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say where they could do it. No, I I still think it. There's going to be something that goes back to something only female radiance could do. Mm-hmm. I'm probably clinging to that stubbornly because I mm-hmm. got an idea about it earlier on. There's been nothing mm-hmm. that I've read that would give me any indication of that. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm going with. Jared Anderson says, do you think any of the three backstory characters, Kaladin, Shallan, Dalinar, will die? And if so, who? That's a good one. Um... Well, I can tell you that if there's only one I think that, if there's one that I think is bulletproof, mm-hmm. I think it's Shallan. I would agree with that assessment. I would, I definitely can see Kaladin sacrificing himself. Mm-hmm. I could also see Dalinar doing it. Same as well. I would have to almost put him in order priority as like, Kaladin as a one and one A and Dalinar as a one B, but I think Kaladin more than Dalinar, and I really don't think he'll kill Shalanov. No, I don't think that either. I can just see Dalinar pulling a Bruce Willis and Armageddon kind of thing. Sure, sure. I because <laughs> I've seen that movie. You haven't seen Armageddon? I definitely made you watch it with me. You might have fallen asleep. Uh, I don't think so. A spoiler, Bruce Willis sacrifices himself at the end so his daughter's boyfriend could live. Spoilers. <laughs> it's a 20-year-old movie. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for something exciting? I am so ready. Yeah. So What's we up? have to announce our Pimp of the Week. Yes. Fortnite. Pimp of the Fortnite. But Pimp of the Week just rolls off the tongue better. It does. It does. So if you're not familiar with this, we had asked everyone to pimp us out, yo. And um, anyone who shared um, anything about our podcast on social media, we put their names in a hat and drew one name to be a lucky winner of a piece of merchandise from our online shop. And the winner is... The Pimp of the Week is... Ian James Crone. There you go. Thanks, buddy. So we will reach out to you and talk about the details. Uh, we'll catch you online. And so this is going to continue. So uh, we'll we'll basically allow Ian to pick something from, from our store. So rather than us, you know, buying something and shipping it to you, um, it makes more sense for, uh, you know, for us to, to just allow you to, to buy something from the store. Um, and, you know, that way you get to choose what it is instead of us choosing what it is. But we'll continue to do the same thing, at least for the time being. So, again, continue to pimp us out, yo. 
Are you ready for predictions? Yes. Okay. So I have a number of them this time, more than usual. So the first one is that uh, Ahu is a figure from another Cosmo world. I okay. think that's pretty clear. All right. I think there's a lot of not a lot of questions to that. Uh, the second one is the Voran ideas lead or led to Alethi extremes. Mm-hmm. The Alethi extremes led to great tragedies. Mm-hmm. Great tragedies attract the unmade and add strength to odium. Okay. So it's more of like a I'm. Mm-hmm. It's an observation as much of, uh, as okay. a prediction. The next one, Dalinar's story in Oathbringer ends with him seeing the Night Watcher. Okay. Being able to move between the physical and the cognitive realm is going to be a massive part of how this war is eventually won. All right. So I started thinking about if you can, like what Shallan was able to do on accident when she touched Drahi. Mm-hmm. If you were trying to find out about somebody or spy mm-hmm. on somebody or figure out what was going on and you had the ability to go in and out of this world and you could comb through and find mm-hmm. people and learn that much about them mm-hmm. it would be it would be tremendous mm-hmm. not to mention being able to manipulate physical objects soul mm-hmm. casting and other things but so I would sort of expect this to almost become relatively common by the time we're in like book eight and nine. Mm-hmm. But that's that's sort of uh, the prediction there. I think Adolin finds a way to wake this friend. Yep. I think the one. enemy, I think Odium's champion is Teravangian. Ooh. I think the recreants came about because of the decision to enslave the Parshman. Okay. I think that's why a bunch of the... Because not remember, not every order of the Radiance threw down their weapons and mm-hmm. walked away. So I, But I think that's what ultimately caused them, the mm-hmm. enslaving of another, of a whole other race. Mm-hmm. And I think Adolin and Dalinar's deceptions about their crimes are going to be revealed at roughly the same time. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying there is that Adolin's going to... To find, it's going to find out that Dalinar lied, mm-hmm. and Dalinar was responsible for his mother's death and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think at, at about the same time, Dalinar is going to find out that Adolin was the one that killed Sadius. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be the end of this book, although that seems appropriate. That, yeah. that that's how this book would end, and I think that would be very fitting. But I, but I definitely think it's going to be a situation where Adolin's going to learn. You know, he's going to pop that bubble mm-hmm. of, we almost lost my father in his grief. Right. No, you lost your mother because of your father. Yeah. And at the same point in time, he's going to have to come out and tell people about what happened with Sadius. Mm-hmm. So those are my predictions. Good predictions. You can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. That's D as in David, N as in Nancy, D as in David Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, under facebook.com slash groups slash the DND group. You can search for us on all the social medias. We have a, a regular Facebook page that we don't do a lot with. Uh, our Instagram, Reddit, Goodreads, etc. Pretty much all of them, you just need to search for the Duke and Duchess podcast. 
don't forget to participate out, in our pimp of the week contest and we look forward to look forward to seeing you in the next episode where we will be reading chapters 99 through 107 good night good night everybody <laughs>